Welcome to my talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. Thank you for tuning in. The focus of our discussions uh, on my talk is the global retail financial services marketplace. And it's many and different verticals, uh, be it asset management, banking, wealth management, um, uh, life insurance, uh, fintech, um, and so on. For more than three decades, uh, we at ISS Market uh, Intelligence and our predecessor companies have been passionate students of the business. And uh, beyond reporting uh, on industry headlines, what we really hope to achieve with this podcast is really to dig a, a bit deeper into the, the background and the kind of the, the entrails of the various topics. And to, um, uh, to do so, we create monthly episodes, sometimes more than once a month. And uh, so if you do enjoy this episode, please uh, subscribe to um, my talk on your uh, platform of choice for podcasting. My name is Goshka Folda. I'm the Global Head of uh, Research at ISS Market Intelligence. And this year has been a bit of a whirlwind tour of the globe for us at my talk. We uh, have already touched down on three continents um, in previous episodes. But today I am so delighted that we're going to add one more continent to our account for this year, which is Australia. And uh, Australia is a small but a big country in the Southwest Pacific um, that I think in many ways plays um, uh, punches way above its uh, weight in terms of global politics, in the world um, investment, asset management markets, in retirement policy. Uh, we have all probably heard about uh, the famous superannuation um, uh, uh, retirement scheme in Australia. And also importantly, for those of us who are fans of music, um, in Eurovision. Uh, I'll let my guests tell you a little bit more about that because this is really, truly, that's a, perhaps a podcast that should be dedicated just to Eurovision uh, presence and, and uh, Alex can tell us all about that. But it is also a market and, and I have been observing Australia for a better part uh, actually of almost a decade and it is a market that's changing and fragmenting fast. Uh, there's uh, some consolidation. There is some um, a kind of a disruption that's going on. Um, and in many ways, I think it's almost like a, a, an experiment that uh, uh, we from outside can watch um, uh, and, and understand the impact of various um, disruption elements. Um, uh, many of you might recall uh, several years ago, uh, the um, uh, somewhat famous uh, uh, future of um, financial advice uh, or FOFA um, uh, uh, initiatives in Australia. And we've written about that in our publications. And, and this was really in tandem with a lot of regulatory change around the world uh, on financial advice giving. So today, um, I thought it makes it would make sense to bring an expert um, and dedicate this uh, episode to uh, looking down under to see what's going on and why. And uh, I think in many ways, some of the developments that, that uh, we're going to talk about today will maybe be portents of ideas that might arrive here in North America or in um, EMEA and Asian markets. So, so to help us to uh, discuss this topic, I have invited Alex Dannen, who is uh, the research director from an AS, uh, ISS company, Australia, uh, part of ISS market intelligence uh, uh, family, uh, 
Rainmaker information. Alex is Rainmaker's lead researcher, writer, journalist, and opinion maker. And I would say his opinion making uh, capabilities extend far beyond Rainmaker. I think he's got a very, very big region in Australia. He's also a former school teacher and a volunteer wildlife fighter in his local brigade just near Australia's capital, uh, Canberra. Uh, and he, very importantly, is a big Eurovision fan and an India file. Alex, welcome to the show. Uh, th- thank you, Goshka. And hello, listeners, wherever you are around the world. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, Alex. Before we land on the topic of Eurovision, we'll be maybe do that last. But why, why do you think... Uh, uh, Global asset managers, um, wealth managers, retirement or retirement funds should care about what's going on in Australia. That's a really simple, great, and very shrewd question. We say Australia. Well, one, we play way above our weight. One of the really interesting things about, uh, I think, Australian celebs, business leaders, uh, politicians when they travel the world, I'm always amazed that they get an audience with anybody. And then when you start to think about what we do, you can kind of see why. Um, let's have a look at uh, Australia compared to the US. If Australia was a state of the US, and let's leave aside the politics where you could argue we kind of are, but if we were a state of the US, we'd be as big as Florida. So I've, I'm going to flick the question back to you. I'm going to say, if you're in the States, would you not open an office in Florida? Nonetheless, Florida is a big economy, and if you think... Florida is big enough to to attract your attention as a wealth manager, then Australia is right there as well. So, of course, you should be in Florida and, of course, you should be in Australia. The question is how, but you should be here. Another comparison that I think might get the thought juices going is let's have a look at Australia compared to Europe. Now, Europe's grand GDP is about $27 trillion, US dollars, of course. Uh, in, In Australia, we say if you think If you're a wealth manager around the world and you think you should be doing business in Europe, if you think you should be doing business in the States, then you should be doing business in Australia because we would be equivalent to a number four or number five market in those in those jurisdictions. The question, though, is how do you do business in Australia? And that's a much tougher question as it is in any local market. But one thing that's really powerful about the Australian story is that a fairly significant chunk of our funds under management is contestable. We would argue that if you were trying to do business in Europe, sure, there are big markets in in Germany and France, but are they actually contestable and open to competition from overseas-based fund managers? And that's actually a much more complex question. Now, not every dollar in in Australia's three or three trillion Australian dollar marketplace is uh, is up for grabs, but a significant proportion of that is, you know, say 40, 50%, depending how you analyse it, Do you have the same ratios in those other markets? We would argue perhaps not. Uh, Another way to look at um, Australia is, sure, we're a country of about 25 25 million people. Uh, Our population ranks us number 55 on the planet. But by GDP, we're ranked about 12. By pension fund, size of our pension fund, uh, funds under management, we're number five. Another ratio that I think is good to catch some attention is yeah, sure, our stock markets are 2% of global stock markets, but our pension fund market is about 4% of the global pension fund market. So across all of these metrics, Australia is a much larger player than it should be. We think that's by our good management, but in reality, it's probably by a lot of good historical luck. But nonetheless, the scoreboard is the scoreboard. So Australia is a really solid economic player. We contribute around the world. 
Uh, and like I'm saying, you should be doing business here. And if you don't do business here, your competitors will be. And as good as a good Australian, we like to work with smart people. And if you're running a smart company, I'd love to talk to you. I don't want to talk to the other people. That's a, that's really well put, and I think that that uh, somehow the distance very often kind of uh, masks the opportunity, which is which is quite profound as you pointed out, and it's uh, kind of interesting the various stats uh, that you have brought uh, to bear. Um, and of course, I think one key word that you use is that this is a market that's actually contestable. So there is not kind of a lockdown that we've seen in terms of, you know, even public sector pension plans in some other markets where really kind of retail asset management or wealth management is struggling just because there's just a kind of the, 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 the public sector really, really commands all the attention. So moving to the institutional investors um, uh, in Australia, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about um, uh, uh, who they are and what kind kind of assets do they like and what kind of assets do they like to buy? Oh, well, talking about who are the big investment managers down here, one thing that's also uh, nice to know, it's a pretty powerful fun fact that we like to share with uh, you know, global stakeholders who are casing casing the joint down here, trying to figure out what their play should be or even long-established players. But that is the opportunity for our global friends. Uh, we are a very open architecture market. And what I'm saying by that is we estimate at Rainmaker that about 45% of the funds under management in the market here is run through overseas-owned institutions. Now, I think there's probably no better indicator of our openness um, and our willingness to participate in the in the in just the globally than that. And I would probably challenge many other countries, are they as open? Now, being open doesn't make it better, doesn't make it worse, but it's a statement of our, our willingness to engage. Okay. Now, also reinforcing that is Australians, what we've been doing, and by Australians, I mean institutional investors, of course, largely through, largely through our pension funds. Uh, we're very globally focused, again, because Australia, in by world standards, is a very small market and we want to participate. Great example. You want to get involved with the tech sector. You really you go to the states or or you go nowhere. So we're very exposed to that. But in terms of where we like to invest, about fifty percent of our pension fund investments. And I'm going to focus on pension funds a lot for the this storytelling because it's a really big part of Australia's wealth sector, uh, and that's been by design. And when government policy uh, several decades set up our retirement system, which we in Australia call superannuation, uh, it's really become the anchor point and enable the country to effectively rebuild and re-engineer its financial system. So about half that money in that sector is invested in equities, about 50-50 of that between um, local local equities and international equities, but the, the international equity share is growing. Uh, about 30% is in bonds and cash. It's actually that segment is also globalizing very rapidly. Uh, we have fifteen percent in what we might call alternatives, which I know that word can be have different definitions around the planet, but by that we mean uh, infrastructure, private equity, hedge funds, um, those kinds of vehicles. Uh, about five percent, well, a little bit more, but, but in big round numbers, about five percent of the market is in property. Uh, so showing pension funds on that point, it's worth noting a. a as a species, are quite comfortable with unlisted assets. I know there's a lot of 
uh, talk around the investment world, particularly in North America, about you know when are people going to start returning to the office, how that is impacting uh, property valuations, those kinds of things. It's, I can tell you it's a really live debate down under, but I'm just saying the pension funds are pretty comfortable working with that segment because superannuation, retirement, is a long-term investment. Um, and so the real story is we like equities, we like alternatives, and we have, very, have a really big appetite for investing globally. Um, and that, therefore, it's probably no surprise that I've said to you, who are our largest fund managers operating in Australia right now? We have State Street, uh, Macquarie Asset Management, a homegrown brand, uh, BlackRock. You've probably heard of BlackRock. Uh, another one, IFM Investors. That's a local brand. Then we have AMP, Vanguard, Challenger, QI, a local, another brand, QIC, Penny Cool and First Centia. So if you start looking at our major 10, about a third of them are overseas brands. And the many of the leading brands are index, index specialists. That tells you a, a bit of a hint about what might be going on. But we are just very open to the big institutions. The big institutions around the planet are big down under. Um, and we and that's driven because we're interested in global assets. So it's really a global assets and alternative story down under. Yeah, that's uh, really a, fun, a fantastic lineup. And just to underscore just how global, you know, many of those asset management stories are really truly global. You were just talking about uh, the valuation of uh, of uh, of some real estate holdings by big uh, pension plans. Of course, that's a, also a very very big topic in Canada. There was just huge coverage on that. I'll I'll, I'll share some stories about that uh, with you. But clearly, you know, asset management is uh, is a big business uh, it's a global business and i think that that uh, uh the openness of the australian market is uh, i think of 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 particular allure to a lot of or should be of allure to a lot of providers so um maybe now a, a really difficult question is how do you think uh what would be the best way for global uh fund managers and again you've listed some that have already done inc- incredibly well in australia um uh, how how should global asset managers go about connecting with the, the Australian market? Short of, of course, coming to Rainmaker and and uh, getting you guys to to do some intros. There's about a thousand fund managers working with the boards in Australia. Many of those are from overseas, uh, as we're saying, but also um, you know the big local ones too. Everyone is struggling for their edge. Uh, and so you need, you therefore need to engage with the market. You need to understand its local mechanics. So if we're looking at the Australian market. We'll say, look, about two thirds of the, the money that is invested comes from Australia's pension funds. So therefore, about a third doesn't. So and what I'm, I'm telling you, circles around there, but it's also sometimes good just to come back to basics all the time. Superannuation is, however, retirement is the main driver. And when you start looking at the um, superannuation market, you need to understand its dynamics about uh, what it's, we break it up into about three tribes. You have what we call the not-for-profit segment, which you might call the equivalent of, uh, in Australia, a really big chunk of our pension fund market, really big investors now, uh, are what we call industry funds. It's a pension funds that's that's been set up uh, with an industry, with partner unions and employer associations to, re- associations to really serve the retirement needs, retirement saving needs of people in a particular industry. It could be hosp- the hospitality industry. It could be the office workers industry. It could be the construction industry. It could be the healthcare industry. It could be the education industry. So the, the, in Australia, superannuation policy has really been developed in partnership with our labour movement. So we have different kinds of politics in Australia. 
Uh, we also have retail funds, of course. I'll, I'll double back to the not-for-profit sector. It includes public sector funds, uh, corporate funds run by um, listed companies and so on. Um, so we bundle those. The reason we call them not-for-profit is they are run by trustees, uh, by the fund themselves, representing members, and they're not run on a commercial basis. Then we, another major sector is the retail sector, which is very traditional, includes you know commercially orientated um, wealth management groups in the business of making money through those programs. They tend to run big retail platforms. Uh, they could be former insurers. They could be bank-affiliated, uh, affiliated with financial advisor groups, and so on. And then we have what we might, what we do call the small self-managed sector, which are effectively small private personal funds run by, um, it might be a family couple, uh, two, three or four people who they may be in business together, may they may, may be an extended family, whatever. Um, and but our retirement system, every fund is run by a trustee board, but all these trustee boards, their job is to be fiduciaries and, and provide overall governance guidance of their funds. They may not be investment specialists, however, and so they will use, like many institutions around the world, the services of professional asset consultants or investment consultants, depending how you refer to them. And those investment consultants will give them advice on how to choose investment managers. Now, when we start thinking about, well, how many, how does that work? Well, most superannuation funds in Australia, institutional ones, I mean. So now we're talking about the not-for-profit funds, the big industry funds, as I was saying, the big public sector funds and the big retail funds. They will appoint on average 40 to 50 fund management mandates. So when these funds started several decades ago, they might have just had one fund manager running their entire program. Then they started saying, oh, let's have a specialist just doing strain equities, another specialist doing bonds, another specialist doing property. And then as time has gone on, as they've become more sophisticated, they've said, no, hang on, let's, let's have several fund managers running our equity program. Some are doing value, some are doing growth, some are doing overseas shares, some are doing um, value stocks, growth stocks, all those kinds of things. So we're using a lot of fund managers. Uh, we're getting the advice through consultants. So therefore, if you want to reach some of these pension funds and raise money, you've got to start working with the gatekeepers, being the asset consultants, for the not, and they tend to work with the not-for-profit side of the market. If you, want to, if you want to reach retail funds, well, then you tend to work with the traditional research groups. Uh, in Australia, one of the major ones is, you know, we have Lonsec, Zenith, Morningstar, et cetera. So their brand, at least Morningstar brand, of course, is uh, one we're familiar with globally. So in lots of ways, it's, it's a traditional structure. But around the world, all fund managers have somehow got to get their head above the parapet. So they've got to somehow demonstrate to what they're doing is interesting. Uh, and as we know in funds management, it is one of those industries where the scoreboard doesn't lie. It is a numbers game. And so you've got to be constantly trying to demonstrate the value you add. And around the world, we really, or the industry, I think, can really struggle with that. Hence, we have the growth of indexing. And in Australia, we would estimate that in some asset classes, indexing can be, um, say, when we start last looked at this about a year ago, uh, can be 25, 30% 30% of that market, particularly in equities. And if you start looking at some of our larger international equity managers in Australia, a lot of those mandates are indexed orientated and a lot of our top performing funds um, do use an index strategy and hence the growth of ETFs and all those kinds of things. So really it's about understanding the mechanical structure of the marketplace, understanding who the gateways are, trying to talk to those institutional 
influencers, by and large being asset consultants, but also what we're finding is some of the larger funds, and this is no surprise at all, they increasingly do self-investment. And that was a trend started in the States, what, 15, 20 years ago. And we can, we all know those um, famous brands that were doing that. And so some of these larger pension funds have now figured out, well, hang on, um, do we really need to have a an investment manager sitting around running a bond portfolio when a lot of those bonds are going to be just held for next 5, 10, 15 years? Uh, do we really need to have a, a fund manager running a cash portfolio? Uh, and depending how active the strategy is, how it's traded, those kinds of things, some of those uh, trustee boards have said, no, no, I think we could do some of this ourselves. And as we know, when funds start to invest their own money, it fundamentally changes their governance. But also when funds start to invest their own money, they're effectively outsourcing or they're insourcing, sorry, their investment operation that was previously outsourced. Uh, they've got to start thinking about that, how that works. And it might be that they they start insourcing their own investment advice or at the very least they'll appoint their own investment teams who are just as big and tough and mean and smart and creative as the formerly just purely external advisors. In other words, they want someone on their side of the table. Uh, they want people to, to really challenge each other and also have the intellectual fortitude to, you know, if a fund manager comes up and says, I think we should be investing this way, or my consultant says, I think we should be tilting our strategy that way. They want to have people on their side of the table who can take on those ideas, perhaps embrace them. But also what we've tended to find, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is what happens elsewhere, asset consultants can be a little bit conservative from time to time. And so when pension funds want to start getting into alternatives, and as I was trying to say, Australian investors are very quite comfortable about alternatives for a significant minority of their fund, um, they found that a lot of the asset consultants, they just weren't ready. And so the funds had to do their own research. We've, we've had funds tell us they've had to actually sit down with their asset consultants and basically walk through why they wanted infrastructure portfolios. They've even had to sit down and walk through why they want to rebuild their bond portfolios. Um, so they're much more independently minded. Uh, but that is part of the freshness of the thinking here, which is why we think that the Australian pension fund market is innovative. Uh, it's very returns driven. One thing we do find quite intriguing is when we look at pension fund markets in other countries, you don't have the same obsession with performance uh, that we do down here. So uh, superannuation returns from even, you know, the big industry public sector funds, they are almost front page news uh, quite regularly. And, you know, we're part of the problem here because we, we survey them, we talk about the returns all the time, but the media love those stories. Uh, superannuation is part of almost the national lexicon. It's a every election in Australia now, superannuation policy is front and centre. And in fact, when governments have tried to change superannuation policy, governments have either not been able to win an election or they've only they've almost lost elections over it. So it's really something that's part of the the national the rhetoric on almost a daily basis, which is probably quite different to other countries. Um, but if you want to do business with Australia, understand. Understand the mechanics, understand the distribution structures, understand the tribes, understand the gateways, understand that depending on which part of the market you want to reach, you might need to work with traditional managed fund research brands that you, you're probably familiar with them globally. But if you want to reach some of the, the larger uh, not-for-profit pension funds, well, then you need to work with their specialist consultants. Uh, and those consultants might be 
groups such as Jana Frontier, uh, Watson Wyatt, uh, I forget the acronym, but yeah, Watson Wyatt and those groups. Yeah, well, that's interesting. But Mercer actually plays a very different role in the Australian market compared to what happens globally. As a straight asset consultant, they're not so strong, but, but they're very they're a very strong retail platform player in Australia. So it kind of highlights that that they've actually tilted their business model quite differently. And your reaction is is so typical, and it's so it's a terrific reaction because when we show this to other managers coming into Australia, they gasp just like you do. And they're saying, oh, my goodness, why aren't they huge asset consultants here? It's because our market is quite different. And it might also be our market's quite concentrated. Uh, And so the way we operate down under probably has to be a little bit different. And a a nice way to illustrate that is there's been a lot of pressure on our pension funds to consolidate, uh, to introduce scale, um, make it easy to transact, introduce administration efficiencies, those kinds of things. You can have... The downside is it's been a bit anti-competitive because you can't really have competition if you have not many players in the market. And if there's constant pressure from regulators and government and politicians for big funds to to merge and join together and therefore squeeze out the small players, well, by its nature, it squeezes out competition. And innovation tends to come from smaller players in most markets. As a result, you throw a blanket over the biggest 20 pension funds in Australia, you have 95% of the market. Um, you then start looking at what's really going on with our marketplace is the not-for-profit market, being the industry funds, public sector funds, they are running the table in terms of superannuation. They are 50% of the funds under management. They they attract two-thirds of the contributions, the deposits into the funds. But also one of the really surprising, well, is it really surprising, but one of the big things happening in our in our wealth management market is disintermediation. When I first came across that word about 20 years ago, it took me about six months to learn how to pronounce it. But uh, it's a really powerful force, and we're seeing it in every industry. And so many of the forces happening in financial services, it's always, it always intrigues me how financial experts will sit around a, a conference room table talking about the forces in their industries if they're different. And you sort of think they're not different at all. If anything, we've been protected for decades but the forces of technology, uh, cranky consumers, uh, technology revolutions, the, the the ability of people to say, hang on, I don't need to talk to gateway and intermediators anymore. I can talk straight to the source. And anyway, if I don't like your product, I can just, while I'm sitting at home watching Netflix and, you know, watching Eurovision reruns on on uh, on YouTube, I can actually be changing my investments through my app and I can do, be doing this in a, within a moment, whereas wasn't too long ago, these processes required a lot of administration. They required you to fill in lots and lots of forms, many that you had to fax, and it might even take several months for the accounting to go through. Now it can happen in an instant. And so part of the the big push or the big trend is our financial advisor market. I've been deliberately trying to talk talk up the, the contraction in it, but to illustrate what's going on, Australia... In 2019, we had 28,000 financial advisors. Now, in Australia, we tend to talk about financial advisors, financial planners synonymously, uh, whereas in other countries, you're much more focused on the distinction between those terms. But let's let's broadly call them regular financial planners. So we have 25 million people across the country serviced by 2019, were serviced by 28,000 financial planners. 
you roll forward a couple of years to like now, it's 16,000. So it's almost halved. Yeah, and so we're losing 4,000 financial advisors every year. Now, I used to be a high school math teacher, so this is not complicated arithmetic, okay? If we've got 16,000 planners and we're losing 4,000 a year, if something doesn't happen, uh, we may have no financial advice industry in Australia in four or five years' time. Now, that's a nuclear comment, and I know it's not going to get to that point, but it shows that there's been such a fundamental correction in our market. And the big aspect of what drove that was the government uh, several years ago just said, look, we've, we want to stop we want to stop sales commissions in financial advice. So if you're going to get financial advice, it should not be driven by um, sales commissions paid by product providers. Uh, and that's tilted the market to a fee-for-service orientation. But at the same time, government policy has been explicitly about professionalising the industry and saying, well, you've now, got to, you've now got to have a certain level of tertiary qualifications uh, and the the runway for that, well, it's probably been quite long, but it's really jolted the industry. So they've had to ramp up qualifications. They've had to change their business models. So in other, way, in, in other, in other words, the government has effectively come through and said, we've got to transform this industry because after the global financial crisis and other financial events, uh, what tends to happen is you're, you find out who's been investing the wrong way and then people who've lost a lot of money, they then make a lot of very valid legal complaints which can lead to judicial inquiries in Australia, which we'll call royal commissions, but lead to major inquiries. When you when we do that, we find out the way some of these financial products have been sold to consumers has just been inappropriate. It might have been technically legal, but it's on reflection it was inappropriate. It's prompted governments to change the law. And one of the big changes they've done over the last, say, decade, it's almost been a, a across government, across party national project is to profoundly reform financial advice. But in the cure has probably killed the patient. And so we're chasing financial advisors out of the industry. Now, this is a really big dynamic for the retail investment sector because financial advisors tend to have an affiliation with retail products. Now, I know it's not a one-to-one -one relationship, but they do work together won't say hand in glove, but they do work together. So uh, retail products tend to be intermediated, and if there's less intermediators, well, then it stands the reason they're probably not going to be recommended as often, whereas the not-for-profit market is much more about direct distribution, which then highlights how one of the big power plays happening in the retail market is it's becoming much more directly distributed. Uh, Funnily enough, the not-for-profit sector is also trying to figure out how it can work with intermediators and advisors much more. And this is another big driver going on down under is just like around the planet, we are getting older. Uh, fertility across the, the globe is going down. So if you start looking at global population projections, Australia is not too different as any as is any other developed market. But So retirees, we're coming. You know, I turned 61 this year. I'm not, I'm not ready to retire yet, but couple of years, hopefully, and I intend to live a fair while after that. And 40% of all the money in the superannuation system right now is owned by people over the age of 65. You then start to think, well, it sort of makes sense that older people have most of the money because they've been saving most of their life. Um, but that 40% that ratio, as that population continues to generally age, which is happening all over the place, obviously, um, 
that ratio will probably go up over the next, say, 15, 20 years to, we would conservatively say, 60%, 65%, maybe even 70%. But it's going to be about two-thirds owned by retirees. And the big question for money managers working in Australia and the funds who appoint those money managers is, does that mean we need to invest a bit differently? And what I'm saying there is, of course, well, as people get older, they're not working anymore, so they don't have income coming in. So we want we want our investments to still be growing because I plan to be retired for 30, 40 years. And funnily enough, the more educated you are, the wealthier you are, the longer you tend to live. So I'm going to be retired in Australia, our official, not so much a retirement age, but the age at which you can get the age pension is moving up. It's approaching 67 don't tell people in France that. They'll start writing down under. Um, but uh, people are going to be retired for 30, 40 years. And in fact, uh, one of the largest demographic groups in Australia is people who are older than 100. So pension, our pension funds pretty soon are going to be having to deal with, with many thousands of members who are over 100 years of age. But if we want our money to last that long, it's got to be invested with the, from the point of view of capital protection. But at the same time, people want investment income. So does that mean we've got to start rethinking our very pro-equity approach to Australia, Australian investments? Or do we need to rethink traditional portfolio construction where if I want a portfolio that generates income, I don't need to just put it into bonds because let's have a look at what happened to the bond market the last couple of years. It's um, Let's just say it hasn't... It hasn't uh, performed at its best and uh, to the point where the equity market is as badly as equities got smashed they got smashed less than bonds so we've got maybe we need to rethink this view of equities versus bonds in our portfolios but that also highlights in australia we're we're probably more comfortable with alternatives than some pension fund markets and we uh, we're more comfortable with unlisted assets and that then brings you back to some of the valuation issues that uh, you mentioned before, Goshka, in terms of North American real estate and valuations post-COVID, working from home effects, all those kinds of things. So there's a lot of dynamics in the Australian market, and but it is fragmenting, it's disrupting massively. But what is kind of interesting, despite the fragmentation, as an industry itself, it's never been healthier. Uh, 17% of, of all wages and salaries earned in Australia are paid into people's superannuation funds. Now, we have compulsory super in Australia, which might sound anathema to some of our um, North American uh, friends. Uh, even conservative politicians in Australia are really comfortable with our, what is effectively socialised retirement. But what I'm saying, what, the reason I'm going on about that is compulsory contributions in Australia right now are 10.5% of your wages. But on average, across the economy, people are putting in 17%. Now, that's very concentrated amongst wealthier people, of course, but it does show how much money is going into the system. Uh, We've been through COVID. We're having real troubles with investment returns, though they are kind of spiking back. We have I have this saying just from years of doing this. Retirement funds just have this uncanny knack of surprising on the upside. Just when we think it's the end of the world, our fund managers and our and markets themselves just surprise us. Every time there's a hit, we tend to bounce back. There's nothing this always happens. It's happened through history, but when things are bad, we just tend to think, oh, it's going to be bad forever. In the same way, when things are good, we think it's going to be good forever. And as we know, the human condition is not like that. And so we're quite optimistic that we could be having fairly strong returns this financial year. Last year was one of our worst returns on record. The year, 
year before her, however, was our best year on record. Just shows you how volatile things are right now. But it's almost like consumers across the country have, have said as a collective group, look, we just got to get back into the savings game. It's really, really difficult. We had a big hit during the COVID lockdown when the you know economy's really quietened down. Um, but we're now starting to save again. So we, Australians put more money into superannuation than ever, and we're pouring money into bank turn, savings term deposits. Um, it's almost like Australia just seems to have this knack of creating capital, but the big issue we struggle with is what to do with that capital and how it should be invested, which comes back full circle to why we're probably having this discussion is when we invest money, we like investing globally and we are really comfortable dealing with global global money managers, one, because they're very experienced, they know how to do it at scale and they clearly often have just the wherewithal that might be a little bit ahead of some of our local institutions. But also maybe some of our local institutions are a little bit too used to working in an environment where government policy almost protects them. I mean, the fact that we have compulsory savings, it's almost like the government is telling everyone you must buy these products. So therefore, the people who provide those products are, are sitting pretty. And does that make them a little bit lazy around the edges? Well, at times, perhaps. And so when we have big players coming in who are just really used to delivering pure investment management services, we don't really have equivalent brands that do the same kinds of things, or at least not at that scale. Uh, so, you know, I've gone on a little bit of a wildlife adventure there. But I think the Australian market is a really exciting marketplace. We love working with overseas players, but that's because we love working with smart people. We like to think that, as, you know, as Australians, we, we contribute to, to the planet. We like to think that we are reasonably smart. Um, we also know we're a centre of innovation. Uh, we are world leaders in particular industries uh, and and also... It's also quite intriguing that, um, you know, in terms of how we manage our financial affairs, I mean, even though we might be complaining about national debt in Australia, Australia's national debt right now is only about 35% of GDP. And even though we're talking about debt being out of control, we're only talking about it getting to maybe 40% of GDP. So it's almost like we've got quite a nice way of running things. But we are having big, profound um, discussions about what the long term will be, because as, as we know, the global economy is changing uh we have we've got to start thinking about sustainability and um esg and carbon management and those kinds of things and you know as a major major resource economy that's a threat to australia but also a massive massive opportunity because if you want to electrify the world we're going to need minerals and rare earths and we also think we're big players there so while the rest of the world is, might be or other countries are struggling with national debt and budget deficits our government has just delivered a budget surplus so uh, Australia, I think, is actually nicely positioned. We're in a good part of the world. So much growth is happening around us in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, the economy is actually, given what's happened, surprisingly healthy. Uh, as a commodities economy, we've done really well last 12, 18 months. We don't need to go into the dynamics of what the, the Russia-Ukraine war has done to global food chains and energy energy supply chains and all those kinds of things. But Australia has benefited from that, but it also means that uh, it illustrates how volatile things are and how sensitive we need to be. And we also need to start working with our financial sector as almost part of our national security, national economic policy apparatus. And in Australia, uh, superannuation and investment 
policy investment managers and the wealth sector is actually seen as part of our economic infrastructure and, and it's taken very, very seriously. Well, Alex, um, uh, we we could talk about this for hours. This is uh, this has certainly been um, uh, absolutely eye-opening for me. Uh, Australia is indeed a, a small but uh, also a very big country. I think um, several things that you mentioned um, are so attractive to global asset managers. I think one, maybe if I were to to single out one, is that persistency of inflows, which is related to the fact, as you explained to us, of that growing proportion of, of incomes, employment incomes that have to be uh, contributed to the superannuation system. And that, you know, at, at particular particularly at times when uh inflows in in other retail asset management markets are so difficult to come by with many investors globally on strike and you know moving a lot of sucking sucking away a lot of uh, money into deposits and safety zones it is really uh, interesting and encouraging to see a market which by virtue of its uh, kind of institutional setup and commitment to the uh, retirement system is really continuing to generate such strong inflow so with that alex i'm going to say thank you a big thank you um um, uh, we must return uh, to the topic of Australia and Eurovision uh, in another episode. Um, uh, thank you very much, Alex. And um, that is a wrap for us in May. Uh, we're now in the final stages of um, finan- uh, uh, finalizing our um, household uh, wealth work in Canada. That's a biennial report uh, stemming out of that will be a lot of ideas about the future of asset and wealth management. Management. So uh, you'll hear more about that in upcoming uh, episodes. And as always, I uh, encourage all um, listeners to ping us with any ideas for specific topics or specific um, industry guests that you would like for us to invite. Uh, I'm working on a number of different uh, invitees for the upcoming episodes. In the meantime, thank you very much. Um, uh, and on uh, behalf of ISS Market Intelligence, um, I wish all of our U.S. listeners a great Memorial Day weekend, which is coming up. Um, And for the remainder of us, um, have a great rest of the week and uh, we'll hear you next month. Thank you very much.